What is up, everyone? Before we get into this episode, I just want to thank our sponsors, the African Students Association from the University of Notre Dame, for sponsoring us. And let's hear a bit more about what they have to say about their Pan African Youth Conference, which will be happening in March. Kwame Nkrumah, Julius Nyedere, Nelson Mandela, Patrice Lumumba. The historic mission of that first generation of African leaders was to liberate Africa from the throngs of colonialism and imperial domination. Thomas Sankara, Yoweri Museveni, Jerry Rawlings. The historic mission of the second generation of African leaders was to consolidate the gains from independence and to set Africa on the path to socio-economic transformation. As the current generation of young Africans, we too are faced with an important task of first, discovering what our historic mission is as a generation, and secondly, deciding whether to fulfill or betray that mission. Thus, the African Students Association of the University of Notre Dame will host a virtual edition of the Pan-African Youth Conference, which will bring together a Pan-African network of university students from Africa and across the world. Participants at the conference will grapple with four critical questions that are pertinent to our understanding of our historic mission as a generation. One, who are we as Africans? Where are we as a continent? How did we get here? And most importantly, where and how do we go from here? The conference will feature a keynote address from one of contemporary Africa's foremost thought leaders, Professor Achille Mbembe from the University of Cape Town. We invite you to be part of a Pan-African network of young Africans seeking to discover the historic mission of our generation and to fulfill it. Africa needs you. Will you answer the call? To register for this event, Follow the link in my bio, on my Instagram, or my TikTok. Let's get right into the episode. What is up, everyone? My name is Adnan Shafi. I hope everyone is having a wonderful weekend. Once again, we are back and we're going to be discussing Black and African representation in media. It's a really important topic because as I've mentioned in one of my topics in regards to racism, We've seen the effects of media in being able to propagate certain narratives and actually socialize people into accepting the assumptions of ideologies like racism, misogyny, etc., Islamophobia, FOMO. So it's very, very important how you, you, you're essentially portraying people through the media because you're essentially dictating a minority's story to the entire world. And that's, we're going to delve into a couple of issues. We're going to talk about Black Panther. We're going to talk about Black people being cropped out of photos for climate change conferences. We're going to be talking about all these different movies, how people are not getting invited uh, to certain festivals, all these different things. We're just sort of looking at it from this perspective because media is one of those institutions that heavily, heavily controls the narrative about Black people and about Africa as a whole. And yes, as usual, guys, I mean, Jamil's been on here for, for so many times. I mean, he might as well just be, you know, we need to, we need to do something for Jamil, guys. Uh, but yeah, also, he started up his own show. Please go ahead and subscribe to his podcast. Listen to his podcast as well. Just pop a quick share. The link is in his bio, at Douglaboy. Follow him on TikTok, on Clubhouse as well. Man's is doing big, big things. But welcome, Jamil. Welcome, 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 man. Thank you, Adnan, so much. Uh hello everybody i hope you all are doing well i hope 
this podcast catches you at a good time. I'm, yeah, I'm Doug Boy, right? I, I started a podcast recently, Doug Chat. Uh, we have a couple of episodes up going. Um, at the time, yeah, we're, we're at the time we're recording this, we have some episodes from Black History Month and some for Women's History Month as well. Like Adnan said, you can find me on TikTok at Doug Boy, Instagram, Twitter, um, Clubhouse. You, you can usually find me out here in these Clubhouse streets. And I'm definitely glad to be here to have this conversation with my good bro. Yeah, I'm so excited, man. I mean, this is a topic that I feel like I really wanted to discuss because we're going through a phase in time where we're finally starting to get some element of representation. But it doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination that this is the representation that we want or that it is adequate in some senses. Because... I mean, people celebrate about things like, oh, you know, Black people are finally getting representation. But then sometimes we're only going to find, let's say it's only light-skinned people or the character that is desired, et cetera, and very feminine or whatever. Like, you know, you'll find that they end up being light-skinned and then the character that is very masculine, very tough, very stubborn, et cetera, happens to be dark-skinned. So we're going to be getting into all of these overlaps. But before we do, I really want to ask, I mean, what are your pet peeves when it comes to representing Black people on TV? You know, so it's crazy that you asked this because, you know, I recently did an episode where I spoke with um, Deja Talks TV from TikTok and we talked about representation. And so I think one of the biggest pet peeves I have is the portrayal of the Black family as a dark skin, brown skin father and a usually a very light skin or mixed race mother. And then the daughter is usually as light as the mother. So it's usually also a light, a light skin or a mixed race actress playing the daughter and the mother or just very light skinned people, right? So the father is very dark skin. The mother is very light skin. The daughter is also very light skin. The son is also very dark skin. And while I am very much aware that the black family people come in various shades, not every black family comes in that same shade ratio of dark skin, light skin, and then the children are automatically dark skin, light skin. Quite frankly, I know a family where, and and to speak to colorism is one thing, right? But I know a family where the father is a very dark skinned man, the mother is a very light skinned woman. There's four children, three girls and one boy. They're all the same shade as their mom. Not a single one is as dark as the father, right? I know some families where it's the opposite. All the children are as dark as one parent. I know some families where the children is a sliding scale, right? So that's, I think for me is the biggest pet peeve is this monochromatic way of looking at the black family when the black family itself is not monochromatic. Um, certain stereotypes that are played into, I have, a, I have just, the, yeah, it, for me it's the colorism, but it's also the stereotypes. Um, oftentimes you see some characters are their their ethnic background makes like the entirety of their point. So like they might be a Caribbean character, but because people fail to understand the, the nuances between the Caribbean, this person is quote unquote from Trinidad, but with a Jamaican accent. Or this person is or this person is quote unquote Kenyan with a Nigerian accent. And so those are just two of the, the issues and pet peeves that I personally have. Yo, speaking of Kenyan misrepresentation, 
out of all the shows like i'm just disappointed out of all the shows that i expected that there was going to be good representation cuz it's like a pro black show and it's like majority black cast etc literally one of the people came from kenya allegedly and this is dear white people that's the show and i think he was asked to speak swahili or something like that and man started clicking or something like that i was like that doesn't sound like swahili at all it's like are you mad <laughs> i'm just like yo i was like are you are you for real man are you really for real i was so surprised that this is a show that is meant to be oh yeah we're empowering black people yet when it comes to the roots or like you know the african continent the the mother of of black people you know essentially this continent has really mothered black people you're going to just throw it away like i mean the thing is what i also don't understand is that you're spending millions like literally millions on a show that is going to be consumed by millions it doesn't take even it's it's free to research this like it's literally free to research this and i don't like the way people have been deliberately left out of the narrative even though they come from those specific countries that they're mentioning so that's definitely one thing and in terms of just like you know non-fiction tv and like you know news reporting <clears throat> one thing i i really hate is this this view of the african continent as this monolith it's like oh you know africa this africa this africa that and then they <clears throat> they deliberately zoom in on certain narratives and they shifted in such in a certain type of way so as to either show africans as unintelligent or just in poverty constantly etc and they don't even give context they just seem like oh you know this is this is exactly what's happening on the african continent it's totally not like they were colonized and they weren't you know exploited by the imf and world bank and all these different other institutions it's totally not like that happened i mean this is just poverty right this is the place of poverty and this is why i think when i've come to the west specifically the united states i've experienced a lot of ignorance because of how sensationalized cnn even cnn even though it's left leaning right all these different news anchor you know hosts right the way they portray the african continent it's just it's really annoying and it doesn't really fully represent our narrative i'll give you one example and then we'll sort of move on but there was this other ethiopian boy i believe or i think it was either ethiopian or somali and he was herding goats or something like that and then he got into MIT or something like that this guy came from MIT and then he he went there and he's like okay you know what this kid's smart right let me get him into MIT so man's got into MIT is being interviewed and then i think it was anderson cooper asking the guy like the the guy who was recruiting these MIT students right and the way that guy talked was so condescending he's like you know he's actually really smart and it's like what do you mean it's like <laughs> why does that surprise you why does it surprise you that an african child is smart just because someone herds cattle that doesn't mean that they're intelligent so i mean those are some of the pet peeves that i have man what do you think what do you think no you're definitely right these these types of things happen you have black people they go into certain spaces and they're the the microaggressions are very much real right you know names are mispronounced um intelligence is questioned i had a <laughs> the the other day um 
I had an encounter, right, where I was speaking to a white man who professed himself as a, he professed himself to be a Caribbean genealogist expert, specifically Afro-Caribbean. And he, he said specifically those that were in the British and Spanish West Indies, his words, not mine. Well, first things first, West Indies is a, is a colonial term, right? Most people from the Caribbean refer to themselves as Caribbean. Um, and so that being said, that was the first, that was like the first mark, right? Um, I was talking to him, he mispronounced my name, I corrected him, he said that he had heard me say my name once before and that he just didn't know how I said it. Okay, that's strike two. Um, but as he's speaking, like, as I, I mean, I'm no professional genealogist, but I, I, I think as someone from that area, I know a little bit more. And you could, you could see the condescending level in the way he spoke to me as he, I asked him very basic questions, questions that I knew the answer to. And, you know, he was, the way he was very condescending in his answers, it kind of shows that there is a level of, some people don't think Black people are knowledgeable in certain fields. There is a looking down upon of people who come from these rural backgrounds. And I would argue that sometimes people who come from rural backgrounds are a lot smarter than most people give them credit for. But because they come from this rural background and ruralism and, and farm work is associated with like the, so it's like, it's like a trickle down effect where like those who work on farms are usually associated with the South, at least here in America. And then the South is usually uh, associated with lesser intelligence, right? Which is why like, if you wanted to sound dumb, you would use a Southern drawl. Um, because of all those interconnected things that happen, people who come from a rural background are typically seen as ignorant. But like I said, most Southern, most, I don't even say Southern, most rural people are a lot more educated than you give them credit for. I wanna to touch on that a bit more in relation to one of my biggest pet peeves. And unfortunately it was present in Black Panther. I'm just gonna call it the black scent, right? Having an accent that is allegedly the African accent. Like what? <laughs> There's no such thing as an African accent. And like when they put it into the film, it just sounded like, I mean, you can't even pin down a certain ethnic group that possesses that form of, you know, tonality, all these different things. It's like they completely just made it up and they're like, oh, speak like this. I'm like, what? It's like, that's not an African accent. There's no such thing as an African accent. Then also <clears throat> in comedy, and this is something that I find really, I mean, I, I personally, sometimes I do find it offensive when it's done in a self-degrading manner, is that when some Black people will automatically fake either a Nigerian <clears throat> or a Ghanaian accent. And then they'll sort of, you know, make it comedy. And it's like, how is that comedic? And then people who actually speak like that become the laughing stock. And then I think of it as this sort of way, it's like, you know, oh, you're not speaking properly like the white man does or like, you know, etc. And then like people call it like a shady accent. Then they use it for comedy, all these different things. So some people, I mean, some comedians that are black, they do it. And like, yeah, it's funny because like, you know, uh, let's say that's actually generally how someone speaks and some for some people it's funny, but for other people, it's like they do it in a very self-degrading manner. And it's like, you know, oh, I want to speak like an African because that's going to make me sound unintelligent because that's going to make me seem like I am someone who doesn't, uh, who isn't civilized or it's going to make me seem like, you know, the laughing stock of society. Have you ever experienced that? 
No, definitely. You know, there are some accents that are seen as the creme de la creme of accents, right? There's a there was a study that said most people perceive like there's a reason why most villains have a British accent. And it's because we see the British accent as the end all and be all of accents, right? You know, up there with British accents, people love a French accent, people love a Spanish accent. And when I say Spanish accent, I specifically mean as an accent from Spain. I'm not talking about the accents from Latin America. Those are seen in a lesser regard. Um, people love the, let's see, you have a French accent, British accent, people love the Scottish accent, people love the Irish accent. Um, people love a Jamaican accent, but only to a certain extent. I've been in spaces where I'm speaking and I'm either speaking with an accent or I'm speaking Patois. And you know the fact that the Jamaican accent pronounces the number after two as three instead of three, right, elicits giggles. And it usually sometimes even derails the conversation as I have to wait for people to collect themselves. Um, so it, it, this isn't this isn't some you know oh of course the Australian accent everybody loves a good a, a, a beautiful good day mate right, um, but there these other accents right the South African accent, um, the Nigerian accent and I I. I I would even push the envelope and suggest that maybe Nigerian accents sound differently depending on what tribe you're from. I could be wrong, I could be right. I'm, I'm not too well versed in people fresh from Nigeria with these accents. But yeah, this is a very, it's a very common trend that you see where these, some accents are just touted as the, the better set of accents, accents to have. Yeah, man, I think that's why it's so important just to have the people who are representing Africa or black people as a whole, when it comes to media, it's like, you know, that's a really, really important part of being able to tell our story. And I feel like, I mean, when people mention, it's like, oh, look, black people have BET, then you remember it's white owned. It's like black people have never been fully in charge of their own institutions where you are allowed, for example, you know, have your own series, etc. Black people have never really been in charge of something like Netflix or something else. And this is why, like, just from a different angle, like, we always complain as Muslims <laughs> why there's such trashy representation, people praying in such weird ways online, just, you just go into, like, a sudden show, and then you find someone lying down on their side, and then the fact that, oh, you know, like, the fact that, you know, someone's hijab just gets, like, you know, blown into the wind mysteriously it's like they're always finding a reason to take off the hijab and it's like you can clearly see their agenda and like it's a in quotes it's a civilizing agenda that's exactly what i'm going to call it when you see media being pushed out today it is a civilizing agenda in the sense that they're trying to show you what is uncivilized and what is civilized right and they're trying to push this idea of civilization on to POC communities. And this is why it's so, so important, right? If you can't, if you really can't, like, you know, keep fighting, why, like the question becomes, why are we fighting for representation if this is the same outcome that's gonna happen, right? And I want us to start talking a bit more about the colorism aspect of it and to, to go back into that. It's like, how are you going to be like, oh, this black representation, look, this black representation. And then you go onto like Netflix or something like that and you clearly find that a lot of these main characters that are, that, that are the desirable ones are all light-skinned. It's like, and we talked about colorism in my previous episode, 
last week's episode and this is literally as i said it literally refers to this complex or like the industrial complex of marketing subconsciously to people telling them that okay you know what your skin does not it's not even worthy of being on television like what have you what have been like your experiences with that so when it comes to colorism and how it's portrayed in tv you do see this right um somebody somebody and you see it a lot in like the the meme culture that we have right where somebody was oh i remember now with the 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 megan markle and i don't even want to say it's the megan markle thing because it is a more of the royal family scandal right and unfortunately duchess megan just finds herself involved in that but you had people making the joke that um zendaya should play megan markle's role and the joke is because Zendaya is biracial and light skin but also mainly because Zendaya is the Hollywood black girl right most movies that they're looking for a black woman to play they cast Zendaya which isn't wrong right Zendaya is biracial and so being black is part of her heritage and so you can't take that away from her but because she is of the fair skin you do find her being cast in a lot of these shows um people were calling out Netflix for this right where the daughter and the daughters in a majority of Netflix shows were like with had black families were light skin and so you you and you see this commonly right light skin women are oftentimes more casted there was a in the fresh prince reunion where um the original actress that played Aunt Viv sits and talks with Will Smith she tells him that you know when you label a dark skinned black woman as um oh my gosh what was the word the word escapes me right now but uh, difficult right if you label a dark skinned black woman as difficult that's the kiss of death in hollywood nobody's going to want to work with her ever again and so you do you do see that right where if you were to label a, a light skinned black woman as difficult it may not be that same outcome and so hot and light so you know this colorism thing really does play a big effect and and oftentimes the role you even see it with so for example they did a a, a biopic of Nina Simone Nina Simone is a dark skin african american singer and they had Zoe Saldana play her now Zoe Saldana is a wonderful actress right however Zoe Saldana is is much much fairer right her skin is much much lighter than Nina Simone And so a lot of people had an issue with that because she's so much lighter. And so when a lot of these biopics are starting to come out, people get very triggered because they're scared that the darker-skinned woman or darker-skinned man will be played by a lighter-skinned person. Yo, no that's true. It's like literally you're just you're just trying to whatever opportunity you have, you're trying to put a light-skinned person in that position and i personally don't think that that's right and even speaking more to the colorism someone in my previous episode i think anivia yeah, princess yeah princess brought up an excellent point in relation to how <clears throat> young black girls or like yeah specifically dark skin girls are more prone to being sexualized at a young age and i'm obviously going to bring up cuties because there is so much wrong with that movie that i mean that's a whole different you know podcast in itself from the islamophobia to the sexualization of young girls 
and obviously I'm going to link that to the whole colorism thing but imagine like how how African culture was being portrayed specifically Senegalese culture as a whole it's as I said it's a civilizing agenda it's like you know this is exactly what this look at this oppressive African Muslim household look at them it's like you know it's like look at these savages look at them you you have these uh, archaic values that you're forcing onto this young girl and she's going to rebel and then ends up you know obviously they end up sexualizing the young girl throughout the the entire film I just thought that that was like a disaster and like it tells you a bit more about Netflix and people can be like oh no but this is like you know it was written by a, a black person you know a black woman in fact and she was trying to tell a different story it's like yo honestly like there's so many ways to tell a story but that way that is definitely not the right way and you can see by i mean literally even on google reviews it's like oh seven seven percent of people like this film on imdb it's like a three three point one out of ten man so let me let me actually hear your thoughts what, is it, what were your thoughts on on cuties in general so honestly i haven't seen cuties i don't think anybody's really seen cuties we're just going off of posters and and other things but yeah no like it was weird for me the I mean, I tried to I tried to give it grace because I, I I tried to like understand where the person was coming from. From my understanding, the woman that wrote Cuties was writing from her own lived experience as a black Senegalese Muslim woman. And so like I could kind of understand where it was going, but it, it just seemed really, really weird. Um yeah, no, nah, it, it just seemed weird. I, I I wish I could give you more, but I think. Yeah, like I tried, I, like I said, like I tried to give it the grace, but even in the back of my mind, I was very cognizant that like the whole premise of it was just like very, it was just very weird. And I, I know I keep saying weird, but it's just because like <laughs> there's kids that listen to your podcast. And so like I can't say what I would really want to say. It, it, yeah, it, the, I saw the trailer for it, felt very uncomfortable. And, and you're right, dark skin, young dark skin girls usually are sexualized at an early age. And that stems from just a history of colonialism and slavery, where they, they, they had to make these excuses, right? Plantation owners, people who enslaved people had to justify their actions, right? And so that gives into like the Jezebel stereotype that essentially says that if a black woman did not engage in sexual intercourse, she would die. Like, like it was like, it was, it was, um, it was medic, like it was, he, he was, it was essentially their way of justifying the assaults. And so it was their way of saying that, you know, like if, 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 if I don't do it, they'll be sick and they won't be able to work. That's what they used to do. Right. They had to justify why they had young boys and girls out in fields. And they said, oh, well, you know, the black race matures at a faster rate. And because they mature at a faster rate, what you might perceive as a 12 year old boy is really biologically a 21 year old boy and the same thing with the girls and and so that's why this this, this is why you have that over sexualization of the dark-skinned young women because of that fetishization and that that entitlement that they felt yeah and when people i mean guys i don't think you realize how popular <clears throat> or how important the media is because like a lot of people here mention oh it's not a big deal <clears throat> and I hear this from a lot of uh white people that I talk to it's like oh you, you, it's not a big deal it's just a show man it's just a show it's not so big of a deal 
they literally used film, poetry, like plays to literally they put to, to push the narrative and to justify things like slavery. And if you want to get in deep, let's talk about the OG racist film, Birth of a Nation. Let's talk about it. Guys, you don't understand that these stereotypes are still being used today. And it's been more than, it's almost 100 years since that film came out, right? It's more than 100 years, right? It's like 106 years, something like that. Birth of a Nation is a film that pushes the narrative that this black man essentially is like a rapist and he's essentially coming to rape all the white women and the KKK, actually, before I even get to the KKK part, these women were so afraid of this black man that they jumped off of a cliff to escape him raping them. I mean, look at that imagery, right? And keep in mind, this is, this is again, when people, I mean, I hate to get a bit graphic, but when people talk about, oh yeah, you know, <clears throat> black men have large penises, all these, all these, you know, stereotypes that they are, people might think it's, oh, it's a good thing, but there's a reason why they were, they were masculinizing black slaves and black people in general because they wanted to make them seem okay like they're more strong and perhaps they wanted to blur the lines between humanity and essentially becoming a beast that's literally how they did it so in that movie when they showed showcased that and they had the kkk um come in and save the woman and execute the man the black man apparently that actually led to a rise in kkk membership like, that's how insane it is. Until today, right, you still have this concept that Black men are somewhat this threat. It's like, oh, the police officer, I feel threatened. I feel threatened. You know, meanwhile, the guy has no gun, has nothing. It's like, oh, you know, you're a big fella, you know? It's like all these different things. It, it doesn't make sense. Like, people, you need to realize how strong media is, man. And even if you want to get into it, man, I know, Jamil, you have a lot to say about the Disney racism in the Disney movies and all that. Bro, Disney, all right. So I think, see, what we have to do, right, is first we have to remember that things are a product of their time. Now, when I say this, I'm not saying this as an excuse, but I need people to remember this because you cannot expect a movie that was made in 1939 to be politically correct by 2021 standards because the 2021 standards did not exist. And so I say this because my favorite Disney movie of all time is Dumbo, the original Dumbo. It came out in 1940. This movie saved Disney from bankruptcy, right? Fantasia was supposed to make Disney money. Fantasia did not make them the money they were expecting. And so boom, we have Dumbo. All right, now in Dumbo, where do we start? The Roustabout song, right? The song where the, the train pulls up to the spot in the circus and you have these the, the, these black men have no faces and they're setting up the circus, right? And they're doing the heavy label, right? And so Roustabout, I, if, I, if I remember correctly, means like un, un, unpaid labor or something like that, right? It has to do with like physical labor, right? And they're singing the song and they're like, we work all day, we work all night, we never learn to read or write. I'm like, okay, it's kind of weird. Right. Later on in the song, they're like, you know, um, there's a lyric that says like they 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 slave away. And then after they work, they throw their pay away. Right. 
And so this, this, like, these are faceless black men, right? The fact that you're not giving these men faces, they're black men, big bodies, they're doing physical labor, they never learn to read or write. They're saying that they're gonna throw their pay away. They define their work as slaving is one thing. All right, as you progress through this movie, you get to the 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 crows, right? And the the I I I um what is it called? When I see an elephant fly song, right? And so you have, I think it's like five or six crows. The leader of the crow's name is Jim Crow, right? I think that's a telling sign right there. The crows essentially speak in black sense. They are doing the shuck and jive, you know, they're doing these kind of minstrel, minstrel show type movements. And the thing is, if I remember correctly, only one of the crows is voiced by a, a black person. Or there, 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 there was something to do with like the voice actors of the crow and of the crows being, I think it's like either the leader, either Jim Crow is voiced by a white man and everybody else is, is black or they were all voiced by white people. But there was something along those lines with, with the crows, right? But that's like one Disney movie, you know, if, even if you want to, and so like, if you want to keep in trend with the Disney movies, like there you have um, Aladdin, right? And that, that's straying away from like a, a center of like centering the conversation on black people, but you have Aladdin where over the course of Aladdin's history, the song Arabian Nights has had to be rewritten time and time again, because the lyrics are culturally and racially insensitive. If you want to step away from Disney and you want to take a walk down um, Warner Brothers, right? The Censored Eleven, which are 11 cartoons that have been censored, right? And, and now if you were to play them, you have Whoopi Goldberg say, remember, these cartoons are, are um, they're a, what, what is it? They are a reflection of the time that they were written in. And if we just got rid of these, it would be ignoring a vital part of American history. And in this, you have, a, you have one, one cartoon called um, Cole Black, which is a parody of, of Snow White. Right. And it portrays this young, dark skinned black girl as promiscuous. Right. The thing is, the, the when the when the evil queen sends the huntsman. Right. Which is like a which is basically a bunch of gang members to kidnap her. They throw her in the car. She's able to escape. We don't know how she's able to escape, but we see that like the men have the red lipstick lipstick marks all over them. Right. And the prince that comes to try and flirt with Cole Black is like a pimp. He's got he, one of his teeth is a dice. It's not even a gold tooth. It's a dice. Right. And not even to mention the fact that I guess this airs sometime around World War Two. So there's like a chart where, oh, I remember now Cole Black has a list. Right. It's a price list for her services. And she tells you if you're if you're you know, the price for certain things. And if you're a little person, right, or or a dwarf, right, but they use the offensive word with the starts with an M for little people. And there's, it's like half off, right? And then there's like an offensive term for Japanese people. There's a different price, right? These are, you have these things, right? There's another one called, um, it's like Uncle Tom's Cabin. Right, but it's not based off of the book. It's based off of like a really, it's just like a really weird racist cartoon. Um, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday is meeting time or something like that. Is about like this cartoon black man who doesn't go to church with his wife, and then some like he steals a chicken, right? And so because he steals a chicken, he's running away. He hits his head, and now he has like this dream where he's like in hell, right? But like there's like a lot of racist connotations there. There's another one where there's like a black boy that's hunting Bugs Bunny. And Bugs Bunny dresses up as a ghost and chases him around. And then Bugs Bunny 
throw some dice because there's the connotation that black people love to gamble. The, the, these, these are not new tropes. They are repeated time and time throughout history. Sometimes you see them more, um, they're more slick in their portrayal. Another one, Scrub Me Mama with a Boogie Beat. I show that at least once a year in my Black Student Union meetings, right? It is essentially a music video. It is, a, excuse me, it's animation done to a much older song. And the depiction of that is you have these Black people in a town called Lazy Town. All the Black people have the cartoonish big lips and big noses. They look like monkeys or they're portrayed, they're portrayed to look like monkeys. Um, the only two characters that aren't portrayed necessarily to look like monkeys are the, is this one Black woman who play, who is essentially the mammy. So she's big, she's got the big lips, you know, and her voice is very deep. One would almost say a mannish voice, right? The other character that isn't portrayed essentially like a monkey is this light-skinned mulatto young woman who comes and kind of like stirs up everybody like like the it's called lazy town everybody's moving slow because the quote-unquote black people are lazy but when she steps into town all the men start picking up speed because she's this mulatto light-skinned woman walking through town and she's drawn to look attractive and then when she walks up to the mammy character you see the stark difference right you have like you have Pickaninnies, right? These, which would be like the the racial derogatory term for like small black children with the nappy hair. I think one of them has a diaper that's made out of a flour sack. It's it's just it's a it's a lot that comes with these things, and so you can understand now that if these were the cartoons, right, in the forties, thirties, and fifties, right. So my mom was born in the fifties. My mom would be in her, is in her sixties right now, right. You have people that were alive, right? My my nanny, right? My maternal grandmother born in the 30s, right? You have people alive today who would have been growing up watching those cartoons. Now, you can't help but wonder why some of the lawmakers we have are racist because most of the lawmakers we had grew up during that time. You know what I hate is some people will be like, oh, that was a long time ago. Um, your parents could have been watching that. Daniel, Ashley, your mom could have been watching those Disney shows and she was probably a big fan of Fantasia, right? Deep that, like really, like seriously, if you're, if you're like a white person, right? And you're raised, for example, in Europe or you're raised in the US, generally ask your parents if they saw these films, right? And I, I'm not saying your parents are overtly racist, but have they been impacted by anti-Black narratives? Undoubtedly so. And for you to claim otherwise is for you to deny the existence of something called socialization. Literally imagine kids are watching this. Imagine if you've grown up watching these cartoons, you've not been exposed to anything else that is going to counter that narrative. And then you're finally released into a world where you're able to interact with both white and black people. Or even worse, when people begin to integrate, right? After the Civil Rights Act, what are you going to say? And this is exactly where subconscious bias comes from. The way people are portrayed in film. So when you have to understand that when black people get upset because of the way we are being portrayed in films, in the media, in storybooks, in history books in general, we are upset because that impacts 
actively how people see us and they will take that to be truth even though it's not necessarily true and the thing is there's so many logical fallacies that people fall into committing because they assume that oh this is how africa is portrayed therefore that must be true this is how black people are portrayed therefore that must be true this is how black women are portrayed therefore it must be true so really critically think about that and this is why it's so difficult to have conversations with non-black people about racism because you are fooled into believing that racism exists only on the sub i mean only on the conscious level or only on the overt level but racism is so deeply embedded that it exists nowadays mainly on a subconscious level and i'll give you an example of why this is possible and that, this example people usually keep quiet when i mention it because you really have no way out accepting the truth that people are affected by subconscious bias i'll give you an example that idea of the job applications both in the us and in the uk in the uk you have something called ethnic penalty i've mentioned this on my podcast several times there's been numerous studies that have been done about discrimination in the workplace in relation to race and they found out that black people even if you have a degree you can all have degrees right if you're a black person and you have a degree you are less likely to get a job compared to a white person now you have two options you either assume that majority of the bosses because this is again it's supposed to be representative of society you're either assuming that majority of the bosses are overtly racist in that case you're agreeing that systemic racism exists right or you might be like actually hey no that's actually a problem because according to me systemic racism doesn't exist you would have to concede at the least there is some element of subconscious bias because what else could be producing these results even the fact that in the US if you have a black sounding name that you're 50% less likely to get a call back even though you have the same resume and you have a white sounding name then you actually have to realize that there is some element of subconscious bias at play and this is exactly what i'm saying it's not necessarily like oh okay if you just put more black people in films that that is something that's going to somewhat improve the entire situation there has to be much more that's done but it's a start and that's exactly what we're advocating for but some people as we've seen they get really touchy touchy and they get really mad when they see black people you know represented in film or even just an advertisement i mean i remember here in the uk there was an advertisement that sainsbury's did or something like that where they had a black family and they said oh this is against uk values <laughs> it's like ridiculous stuff man honestly ridiculous yeah i heard about that um and honestly you had the same thing in america where cheerios did a commercial with a interracial family it was a white mother a black father and a biracial daughter and people were ready to boycott cheerios people were were ready to burn cheerios to the ground because they felt as though it was an affront to american values and i and i and i hate to get political but you kind of have to get political with some of these things right and and i use the example of like black lives matter right if if you if i say xyz and you say 1 2 as the rebuttal that would mean that 1 2 is the opposite of xyz right okay so if you're at a black lives matter protest 
you're screaming Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. And your response is USA? USA? This is America? That's telling. Because you're refuting the, the fact that Black Lives Matter with This is America. As though to say, in America, Black lives don't matter. You're saying USA, United States of America. So now you're saying that United States of America is the rebuttal, and usually the rebuttal is opposite, right? And so it's the same thing. If you're, if you're, if you think that Cheerios having a, an interracial family is an affront to American values, if you think that a black family in the UK is an affront to British values, well, no wonder some of them didn't like Meghan Markle, right? No wonders, and and, and, and but you know, let's let's that's that's my two pieces, right? Is is if you find blackness, black representation to be the the antith the antithesis of what you believe in or what you stand for, right? Because you know, I, I just it just it just to me it I would say it doesn't make sense, but yeah, it makes sense to me. It just I hate the fact that I understand where the reasoning comes from. You know, since we've we've spoken about this, you've talked about the royal family. You know, European magazines will always. I mean, I'm not even surprised at this rate. I'm not surprised. I'm genuinely not surprised. Like, I'm not surprised anymore. We're gonna look at this cartoon that Charlie Hebdo just released about Meghan and the Queen. So if I got the translation correct from the article that I read, it's it's essentially asking like, why does Meghan want to leave Buckingham Palace? And she's essentially saying, because I can't breathe. And they've depicted her like George Floyd and the, the Queen is in the position of Derek Chauvin. Thoughts, Jamil? I am at a loss for words. I'm, Mm -mm. I I don't even know what to to think of this like whose side is this on it's like how are you going to mock the death of a black man that sparked protests that are all about empowering black people you're essentially going to mock that death and essentially what you're going to do is that you're going to tell this story of how the queen is essentially acting as an agent of racism. It could be possible that's the case. We're not saying that it isn't. I don't even, I don't know how to, I don't know what to think of this cartoon. Like my mind is genuinely confused. It's, I'm, I'm confused. I am perplexed. I am, I am, I am just astonished that someone 
literally sat behind you know a desk and they drew this cartoon and they're like hey you know this looks very nice it's gonna go on to to the front page of our magazine and like you know the world's gonna love it and keep in mind these were these are the same uh the, the same company that drew the pictures of Prabhupada peace be upon him so of course they're they're very controversial and very insensitive in terms of political matters right but it's just it's insane because like what is it saying like i'm confused it's like are you mocking the death of a black person or are you trying to be this social justice like okay you know yes we're on your side in that case you're just being this weird white savior that literally black people did not ask for this we did not ask you to do this like who asked you to do this what, what was the relevance like what What's on your yeah. mind, Jamil? It's no, nah, it's just yeah. The depiction just is very. I can't. I, I I can't even speak to it. The it just it just I I I can't. I'm. I was unaware of this until you showed it to me, and i'm grasping at straws because i can't i can't find the words to articulate what i want to say i'm just i mean this is exactly what we mean by people controlling a narrative you know? and as the world as europe gets more far right because that's exactly what happened we, we don't need to we don't need to gloss over that or just you know show europe is becoming more far right going to see more nonsense like this pop up and it's like it's almost like just mocking black people and their struggles you know it's like when to make a, a this this cartoon out of it you know it's just honestly so incentive black people did not ask you to do that for them please just hop off your imperial high horse and stick to drawing stuff that's actually uh that's actually funny if that's something that your your company does because they've definitely this is not the first time that they've screwed up they've they've posted things that are anti-semitic etc i mean so what do you expect and my my question is like what the hell does the cartoon even mean it's like why are we giving people like this a platform it's it's, it's honestly disgusting in my opinion but honestly i mean we want to go into like media now uh i can see i'm sorry you know jamil like i, I should have probably like you know warned you about that because like i was disturbed when i said like i thought it was a joke like I gen I thought I was seeing my own things, right? <clears throat> but apparently not. Right? But we're also going to like go into another sort of picture I'm going to just show you, right? And this is exactly what I mean by <clears throat> black people are being erased from narratives on the media. First thing I'm going to premise this off by saying is that black people in general in terms of activism or people of color in general are being erased from that narrative because the media most of the time right keep in mind most of the time sometimes it's getting better most of the time the media wants to uphold this white savior complex and there must be this image of white people saving the world especially when it comes to climate change and if you look at the the roots of sustainable development i highly i i urge you to please read about the roots of those articles and how they're rooted in racism but that's a topic for another day Let's get into this photo guys. Let's see what what's going on over here, right? For those who are listening, I am currently showing 
a photo of Vanessa Nakate. She is a Ugandan climate change activist and she's one of the most influential young Africans in my opinion. She's basically done things that are similar on a similar level to her counterparts like Greta Thunberg, etc. But now look at what happened with this photo. In this photo for those who are listening, it was her and there was a couple of other white and I'm assuming European activists. There is four other people in that photo, including her. Like, so there's one, four people, then there's her. The one that they put on the front page of the paper did not have her. So they just decided to conveniently crop her out. Like, this is, this is not, I mean, this is something that, you know, it happened a while ago, but people got mad, including me. Because, I mean, why, what are you trying to erase? Like, what was the purpose of that? It's like, there's no other way that it could have been except for something that was blatantly racist. Like, what other factor is there? What other factor is there? What, what, what's on your mind, Jamil? Yeah, with regards to this one, I, I do make that argument. Like, you know, people might try to say, oh, the, you, know, the, you know, articles like that have a format and the photo has to be a certain size. You can definitely resize the photo. Um, and, and, you know, and, and so I'm looking at the same photo that you're looking at and it's, it's, not something that's, it's not something that's accidental, right? However, it is the way the photo is set up where she is standing, she's on the, the, the left-hand side, right? So they're all standing side by side and she just happens to be on the end. And so this is something where you could easily see someone just cropping somebody out. And so then you could make the argument, well, if they did need to crop somebody out for the photo, well, why did they crop out the black girl? Right? Like, I, if we can play devil's advocate and say, oh, they needed the space. They needed the photo to be a certain size. Why did they, why did they, why would you, in, in a, especially in a climate like this, right? Where you know how people might take something and blow it up, right? Why would you crop out the black girl? And so that's that's the first thing. The second thing is just the fact that you to, to, re, to retake the photo. I'm sure there might have been other photos that you could have used, right? But to deliberately and, and for 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 you there to be photos of them have for her having been cut out and they're circulating, right? It's on the front pages of of newspapers. It's on the front pages of articles. It's circulating around the internet. It shows that there is this deliberate whitewashing of the works of Black women. And it, this happens a lot with Black women. They put their blood, sweat, and tears into something, and they very few times do they get to reap the benefits of it because whiteness and white society comes in and takes it up. Facts, bro. I think it's a really lame excuse for someone to come and say that oh, in the articles, it didn't really fit this way. Even though you've clearly seen, and if we look at this other one, right? It's like, these are pictures that are the same length. Like this is from another angle, obviously, right? It's like, why, why as, as you said, why cut out her? Is there no other photo that you could have used? And even, let's, let's even just debunk this right now. And let's go to one of these articles. Let's go to The Guardian, right? It fits perfectly on the page. And there's no such thing as a bigger web page because obviously it fits to your screen, right? It fits on the page perfectly. So for those who are finding excuses, again, you just need to start asking questions. Because if your first instinct is not like, this is something that's richly motivated, even though it clearly is because 
those different angles of the photo, you know, she was on the end, yes, but there's also two ends. Am I right or am I wrong? So why why choose that? It's like, You're oh, right. we wanted, did they want some white uniformity? Is that what they wanted? It's like, what was the motive? And the, the, the thing is like, people are like, oh yeah, you know, when she came out and started talking about it, some people are like, oh no, did they just made a mistake. It's like, are we just going to keep excusing instances of racism as mistakes? Even though we've clearly see th- seen things like this in the media, you know? But yeah, like that's just basically that in terms of being able to see us represented in the media as especially activists. But the last, I mean, as we get into the last 10 minutes of this episode, I really want us to focus on perhaps, you know, what's next for Africa or what's next for Black people in representing, you know, et cetera. But we'll focus on like one, one last case study and then maybe you can recommend some Black-owned books or Black-owned cartoons or stuff that are coming out so people can be able to like check them out. But yeah, just uh, I wanted to ask in terms of, you know, politics of who gets to play what, right? I know that there was a case where I think it was in a certain UK, uh, I think it was in a BBC like series, something like that. They used a Black person to play the role of someone who was white and like like historically white, like this is a fact. Like I, I just don't think that that was necessary in my opinion. It's like, yeah, it's like, you don't have to like do that. It's like, yeah, we're talking about Black representation, but you don't have to change history to do that. There's so many Black people that are out there. Then also, um, the Fred Hampton movie that just came out uh, with Daniel, Ku- is it Kulai? I'm, I'm really not sure, man. I'm so it's, sorry. It's Kaluya. It's Kaluya. Kaluya, yes, yeah, sorry. Kaluya, oh my gosh. Well, I'm doing, I'm doing the thing now. <laughs> the same thing as them, man. Daniel Kaluya. Um, he played Fred Hampton, even though he's from the UK and Dr. Uma got really, really mad. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on that, bro? All right, let me let me say something to you, right? Let me I'm, I'm gonna be very clear, say this very precisely to you. Um, actually, no, let me let me stop, right? Let me backtrack because you did bring you brought up two points. And I'm gonna talk to the first one first. You asked about the black person playing a historically white person, and so I would make I would reference Hamilton, where people of persons of color played people who historically were white. And it was done in an artistic sense where the only person who was Anglo-Saxon white was King George, right? I call it an artistic political statement. Um, as someone who did theater in elementary school, in high school, actually I did elementary school, or I did theater essentially from elementary school all the way to high school, right? I was a theater major in the beginning of my college career, right? So I, I, I'm not professing myself as an expert in theater, but I think I know a little bit about it, especially because I got a graduation cord for being a thespian, right? There are some roles that require certain persons to play them, right? So for example, if I wrote a book about a man named John and John was a freed slave in 18... 18- 69 in the United States South, John would have to be black. Or else when the when certain slurs are thrown or certain things happen, it wouldn't make sense. Now, if I wrote about if I wrote a book about a man named John in 2021, 
who's surviving through the pandemic as a lawyer. Anybody can play him. Now, if I specify in the book that he's black, then it would make sense for a black man to play him. But if I don't specify that he's black, anybody can play him, right? Because there's some characters, even you see this in cartoons, where the character's race plays a part of the storytelling, right? So sometimes you have a character that is black because the artist just wanted a black character. You have a character who's black because the writers of the show wanted to tell a black story. So that's that. Now onto this Daniel Kalua thing. Now this is where I'm gonna get very serious with you. I'm going to explain something very carefully. I personally do not see an issue with a black man playing the role of another black man. There are some groups and I'm not going to call names, but if you know me, you know exactly who I'm talking about. There are some groups who want to make this into this World War III issue with Black people. African-Americans should only play African-Americans, right? They say, oh, Black Brits come over and they steal our acting jobs, right? All right, my thought process is this. There are eight Nelson Mandela films or um, miniseries, right? I think the most recent one was Madiba. Madiba came out in, I think, 2016, 2017, right? Lawrence Fishburne was Madiba. Morgan Freeman has played, um, has played um, Nelson Mandela, right? In the eight iterations of Nelson Mandela that have been portrayed, only one was a continental African, and he was from West Africa. Okay, so I'm Jamaican. Jamaica has a bobsledding team or had a bobsledding team, right? And this was a historical thing. Disney made a movie about it called Cool Runnings. In my 23 years of life, I've never heard any Jamaican complain about the fact that none of the men who in real life were Jamaican, but in the movie where they were all played by African-Americans, I've never heard a Jamaican complain, right? I've never heard any and, 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 and it, to my knowledge, I've never heard any South African complain about the representation of Nelson Mandela. I have not heard any Ugandans complain that Forrest Whitaker, an African-American, played Idi Amin, right? But somehow it's an issue when actors who are not African-American are playing African-American characters, right? Nobody complained that Cicely Tyson, who is the daughter of two immigrants from St. Kitts and Nevis, right, played Harriet Tubman, but Cynthia Revo plays Harriet Tubman, it's an issue, right? It's very much showing some sense of xenophobia because not a lot of people knew that Cicely Tyson was not African-American until she passed away, right? So it's very much showing this xenophobia. And so for Fred, and, 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 and what hurts me now is this ideology is rubbing off on the rest of the diaspora. Because Winston Duke, a Trinidadian black man who we know from, um, we know from us and we know from Black Panther was casted to play Marcus Garvey, one of Jamaica's national heroes 
in an upcoming film. And the ideology has now spread because now you have some Caribbean people saying it should go to a Jamaican actor. But, and, I, and I said this when it came to black British people playing African-American roles and I'm saying it now, right? Acting isn't about where you're from. It's about how good you are at portraying the character, right? Which is perhaps the reason why some might argue Zoe Saldana, who is a light-skinned woman, got casted to play Nina Simone, right? Which is why Daniel Kaluuya, a Black Ugandan living in England, was casted to play Fred, Fred Hampton, right? And I heard somebody who is a huge follower and fan of Fred Hampton say that while Daniel Kaluuya does not look like Fred Hampton, he got the Chicago mannerisms under wraps, right? And that is more important than looking the part, excuse me. So this ideology, because I want you to understand how slippery that slope is going to get. If, 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 if the actor who's going to play somebody has to be from the same lineage, you need to find somebody. If that means when I get big and you do my biopic, find somebody who is one eighth Indian and seven eighths black. But wait, that seven eighths black needs to be Jamaican and that one eighth Indian needs to be indentured Indian not just some Indian, not Indian from the continent, specifically indentured. You see, you see how slippery that slope is, is gonna get, right? Oh, be, because then we can raise the argument that Malcolm X, who is on his father's side, African-American, on his mother's side, Grenadian, but his mother is mixed, right? By product of assault. So his mother is half white, half black. That means Denzel Washington is not the person to play Malcolm X. You need somebody who at least has that duality of African-American and Afro-Grenadian, right? And so that therein lies the issue that I have with this ideology that lineage needs to play lineage. That would mean that, and, and, and it doesn't just stop at white, at black people, it would go for everybody. So now if somebody's going to play, you know, um, what's that man's name? Uh, Churchill, right? Well, they need to be a white British person, right? If somebody's going to play Obama, you can't, it, it doesn't just mean you have a biracial person playing Obama. You need somebody who's half Kenyan, specifically the tribe that Obama's from, and half white, with a white mother and a Kenyan father. Because how specific are we going to get with this lineage talk? So that's my stance on it. I get very passionate about it because I find it to be the dumbest thing. It is one of the dumbest arguments that is in the diaspora right now. I, and I, I, I see the organizations that it starts with. I'm looking at UFBA. I'm looking at UADOS because I'm going to start calling names. I'm done with the respectability politics, right? These, when you, it is a, it is a slippery slope, right? It, it then means that you're, it then means that if someone's going to play anybody, right? Acting is not about where you're from, which is why you have Black British people coming over and playing American roles, right? It's why you have American people going overseas and playing their roles. It's, it's not a, a one-way street. It's a, it's a two-way street. But people want to make it seem like it's a one-way street, and, and I don't have the time for it.
And that that's my stance. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. I think the main thing is that you're literally telling a story of black liberation. Why does it matter where that person is from? And you're the same people who are like, oh yeah, you know, you're promoting black nationalism and promoting pan-Africanism, yet you're literally going against the premises of pan-Africanism by suggesting in some way, shape or form that your struggles are not intertwined, right? Those struggles were intertwined. Why do you think that there was a Black Panther in, in Britain, the British Black Panthers, they had a, an entire party, right? I wouldn't mind if, for example, like, you know, the, the role that Lupita Nyong'o played in 12 Years a Slave, I'm not going to be out here like, oh, well, she doesn't, she's, she's East African. They have no history of being, you know, enslaved by, on a large scale by, you know, the, the, the Americans. It's like, it doesn't really make sense when people bring up those arguments. Sometimes a degree of cultural sim- similarity helps, but I don't think it's a necessity, man. I mean, like acting is also about leniency. You're just assuming that, for example, there's a large volume of actors in all these different countries. I think obviously, yeah, when it comes to movies like Black Panther, there's certain power dynamics in being able to tell the African story. I wish there were more Africans that were presented there. Do I mind if Afri- African-Americans are playing roles in Black Panther? No. British, uh, obviously British Africans, do I, do I mind if they're playing any role in Black Panther? No. I'm just saying that you definitely need, and it's, if it's talking about an African story, you need to have that representation across the board, right? That's all I'm trying to say. But when it comes to something like, you know, the role of Fred Hampton, right? We, we have similar history as Black people. I don't see why it's so controversial for people to come out and start saying that, you know, oh, you know, he should not have played the role because he's not this. It just doesn't really make too much sense to me. It's like, yeah, as you said, the story has to be good. Otherwise, if the story is trash, you'll get mad at that actor for doing a really trash job. And then you'll be like, oh, how dare you, you know, portray this, this, um, this story in such a poor manner. So, I mean, just to wrap up, um, perhaps I'll just say, yeah, well, there's a lot we can talk about in relation to Black people and media, Africans and media. But I just want to thank Jamil for coming on today because it's been, it's been really interesting. It's been a topic that I've wanted to talk about. One last thing I'll leave you with before we close off the podcast is um, some publications that uh, are essentially uh, black owned or that are African and they're going to be released and they're going to essentially give us more representation. Number one is Iwaju. If you don't know about Iwaju, then you need to go and check out Iwaju. Go and follow uh, Kugali Media on Instagram. They are currently in partnership with Disney and they're making an African story where they're going to be animating it and they're going to have a lot of creative power here. So I'm really excited to see what Iwaju is actually about. Then there's obviously Blood and Water, which is a really interesting South African, you know, one. It's on Netflix. Uh, Just really interesting to see those dynamics if you're interested in finding out how we're being represented on Netflix, right? But when it comes to something like, uh, I'm trying to remember the other name. Yes, Drelix Media. Uh, that's literally a Kenyan comic talking about a story that is based in Nairobi. Honestly, there's a lot that's going on. So yeah, by all means, go ahead and view that. Do you have any uh, other additions, Jamil, before we close off? Yes, yeah, so one um, project that I've been keeping my eye on is called Black Sands Entertainment. Um, it's the... I'm reading their Instagram page right now. Uh, They are the number one black owned indie publisher. Uh, They have a comic book series or a graphic novel 
And then I, if I remember correctly that they're working on doing like an animated movie or series as well. So I would definitely say that they that's a, a great place to go as well. Um, and as far as my closing remarks, uh, representation in the media is important. It is important that our stories are being told and by virtue, as long as the stories are being told by us, for us, I don't think it really matters. Actually, I don't, I'm not going to say I don't think. I know for a fact that it doesn't matter. In the spirit of Pan-Africanism, who plays who? So yeah, that's, that's my final takeaway. Yeah, thank you so much, Jamil, again. Uh, you've definitely hit the nail on its head when you talk about representation. And you know what, I genuinely think we need to start establishing our own industry of media and i mean this in terms of news etc and i remember i was doing a, a leadership workshop in kenya about two years ago in the summer and i asked this girl what she wants to do when she grows up and she said she wants to be a journalist and she said and i quote that i want to go and work for cnn and do you see this is exactly what i'm talking about it's like i said why can't you start your own cnn in africa and she's she like she never heard like anything like that before. Like we need to shift our mindset because we, we honestly, and my dad tells me this a lot. If you want something done well, do it yourself. I'm tired of asking for hands out. Black people are tired of asking for handouts for representation that's not, you know, faulty for representation that's not something that's going to obviously lie about us or promote these racist stereotypes. We're done, right? And that's something that we have to take initiative about and essentially charter our own path about. But everyone, thank you so, so much, right? Uh, this has been a great episode. I'm glad that Jamil was able to come through. I'm going to record an episode with him as well. But I just want to thank everyone for being here and may God bless you all. Have a wonderful day. And I will see you in the next season, actually, because we're going to take a season break this week and then see you next week.